we put essential oils in their room so that it smells good, so that it relaxes them. And yet we don't do the exact same things for ourselves. And that is exactly what we need to do. We need to create a downtime routine so that we indicate to our body that it is time to go to sleep. Hey, 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 welcome to the Hope In Show. This is the podcast that explores the power of holistic wellness and empower you with the tools and resources to become the best version of yourself. We use the wellness model that includes spirituality, mental health, physical health, financial well-being, relationship, occupational wellness, leisure, and fun. How does all these things come together to make us who we are and how can we live a balanced life? I'm your host, Mildred Diggs, and I'm excited to be on this life journey with you. Hey everyone, welcome. I'm so excited to be starting this project. I've been working on it for a while and today is the very first episode of the Whole Bean Show. Today I want to lay the foundational work on holistic wellness. And for this, we have our guest, Dr. Diana Castablanco. Among many things, she's a immunologist, a functional nutritionist. And as a functional nutritionist, she uses a holistic approach to help her clients. She focuses on the health of Black and African-American, just making sure our community is empowered to live a healthier life. Hey, Deanna, welcome to the show. No, thank you so much. I'm very excited to be able to get on the show and pass on the message, right? Just get the community aware of what's going on in health. So I'm excited. Thank you for inviting me. And thank you for coming on the show. It means a lot to me. So one of the things that I want to do is allowing the guests to tell the audience who they are. So when I say Diana Castablanco, who are you? Okay, so uh, I'm Dr. Diana Castablanco. I'm an immunologist, I'm a certified functional nutrition coach. My passion is really to help individuals who have chronic diseases live their better selves and live a vital life. That is really what my passion has been. I started my practice to be able to guide Latinx community members as well as African-American members to really be able to start taking ownership of their health in a guided manner that is easy to understand so that we can really bring forth catalytic results. So I've been a biomedical researcher for over 12 years and I'm incredibly just blessed to be able to work with individuals and, and see them fulfill having a better life. What you do is really amazing, helping you know, empowering the Black and Latina community is very important. So I'm I'm so excited to have you on the show. Well, I want to talk about this concept of how the media but your wellness now. It has limited to self-care. And I know wellness is more than that. So what is holistic wellness and what are the components of it? All right. So... That's a really good question, and it is very different. So let's just start there. But before we get started with how is it different, let's go back to the definition, right? So what is holistic? Holistic is not a modality or process. It's really a term that is used to relate to the whole, the whole person, the whole evaluation of an individual rather than looking at the dissection of parts. So the, for example, if you're having issues with uh, liver, that we just look at your liver. No, holistic really encompasses looking at the whole person so that's where the holistic the holistic meaning is when we look at wellness it's really what is wellness so what if you look at the words dictionary it states that wellness is the state of being in good health especially as an actively sought out goal so when we think about wellness this is the action of being healthy in an active manner you are setting goals and you're every day working towards reaching that. So holistic wellness is the action of setting goals for to get you into sound health and doing so by addressing the whole person. So when you talk about how the media portrays self-care as, you know, put it on a facial mask or going away for vacation on a weekend or going to the spa, yeah, that's self-care. That's caring for yourself and that's important. Yes, you can hydrate your skin, going away on a vacation or going to the spa can help to release stress. Absolutely. Is it necessary? Yes. But is that is that a way to approach holistic wellness for you as a person? 
It's a very tiny piece, to be honest. It is not, it's not really the whole picture. So from the sound of it, you're telling me um, this is not something that we can accomplish by being passive, right? This is something yes. that we have, have to actively participate in um, a lot of times. And so there are a lot of times where we think that we can sit back. That's right. That's right. And it, it, it is. It is going to be you setting yourself a goal right? I would like to do this or I would like to achieve this in my in my health. Why? The why is really important in holistic wellness because it's your driver, is your motivator because I want to live to see my kids to be older, because I would like to lift my daughter without having to have back pain, because I would like to be able to run, you know, be able to enjoy swimming with my kids without being fatigued. They're, they're the why, the why is very important because it's going to really help you Every single day when it's tough to make those decisions of, okay, today I'm going to do this, even though I don't want to, I don't have any energy, but I'm going to go out for a walk because this is what my body needs to do today. So it's that kind of, it's that kind of approach. It is a very active process for the individual. So I know sometimes, and I've been guilty in the past of this as well, that we have all these goals that we want to accomplish, but we want to be passive about it. Right. Take, for instance, somebody who is trying to save up money, but wouldn't make the lifestyle adjustment to be able to accomplish that goal. From the sound of it, what I hear is that holistic wellness actually really forces us to be active participant. We cannot just sit on the sideline and expect the goals that we want to accomplish to happen to us. Uh, we have to take steps. We have to, um, make the lifestyle adjustments to be able to accomplish uh, our wellness goal. Okay. So we already talked about what holistic means and what wellness means, right? Is that active pursuit of achieving sound health. So what is health? And that's what's going to give you the components. Health is really the condition of being in a sound body, mind, and spirit. That means that you are free from pain and you're free from disease. That is health. So holistic wellness is a way for you to achieve health. And the components are health in mind, health in body, and health in spirit, right? So is it's really looking at those three components as a triad to make you feel healthy. So yes, nutrition is important, but so is your mental well-being. And so is how you address stress. For example, if you're an emotional stress eater, if you don't understand how to process your stress in a different manner, we're not, even if I tell you what to eat, you're never going to achieve it because when you're stressed, and in today's society, we're stressed on a daily basis by all the things that happen. Media stresses us, the news stresses us, the economic turn stresses us. You know, just the regular routine of being with your children and having them go through their emotional roller coaster can provide stress for a, for a mother, for example. And so if we don't learn to deal with the stress in a healthy way, then forget the nutrition because that has to come first. You have to have your mind right before you can say, okay, I learned to deal with this, this manner, and then I'm going to go and eat beneficial for me. And then you have, of course, the body, which is what you see, what is very trendy, right? It's like, oh, let's lose weight. Let's get healthy. Let's get toned. Yeah, that's a piece of holistic wellness, but it's not the whole, it's not the entire picture. It's a piece of the picture, a piece of the puzzle, and it contributes and it's important, but it's not everything. With the wellness model, it looks at spirituality. It looks at health, that would be physical and mental health, financial well-being, occupational well-being, and so on. How is all of these things interrelated and how, you know, an imbalance in one area can actually affect your overall health and well-being? Oh my gosh. Well, we are social beings. We are created as social beings. And so that means that we are not meant to be alone. We are meant to be within a community. Being within a community means that you have support, means that you have a security, safe place, right? It's a safe place for you to speak and voice whatever it is that you have to say without feeling judged. And that's very important. So having that community is going to provide you that security, that safety net that allows you to really deal with emotional stress, that allows you to deal with uh, any journey that you're currently taking. If you're not financially stable, for example, that that causes a lot of stress in your life. And so that's going to be one of those pillars that if it's broken or if it's very weak, 
it's going to be very hard for you to remain healthy because you're not worried about eating organic produce or the right amount of vegetables when I can barely afford to pay rent, right? So I'm worried about trying to hustle and bring in the income so that I can keep my family afloat. And so those all those pieces will impact your health. So having a community is very important. Being financially sound is very important. Emotionally sound, we just talked about your emotional wellness is where your health really begins. It needs to start emotionally that you are okay, that everything is well taken care of, and that you're able to manage stress because also I keep I keep emphasizing stress from different angles because it is very important. So we have stress and then of course and then there's the physical and then there's the the nutritional intake input output. But those pieces all work together to make you a whole. So if one of those pillars falls down, you're not really going to be able to be well. Does that make sense? Wellness is much more now I focus of course in the mind, the body and the spirit. Because together, those are very important for diseases, chronic diseases in particular, and diseases in general, but they play a big role. However, if you don't have those foundational safety nets of having an income or having a safe net of a community to work with, to interact with, to have support while you go through transformational processes, then you're never going to achieve it. So you kept repeating the word stress, you know, over and over again. And I know the importance of it because when I know, you know, the impact of stress, because when I am stressed, I know how it affects every area of my life. But it almost now has become this buzzword. It's like everywhere you turn, you hear about stress. So what is stress? And, you know, how can people even know when they're stressed? I was having a conversation with a family member once and they they were saying to me, we all talk about stress and stress may look different for everybody, but there are people out there who doesn't even know when they're stressed. What is stress and how does it look? How can you know when you are stressed? Well, first let's talk about, about, about what is stress, right? Stress is a response that you develop in your body. It's in you and it's there to notify you that something is potentially life-threatening to you, okay? And so internally, and if we look at, at, at the basal level, there is a response that happens that causes you to either flight, right? So you're either going to fight to, in essence, if we go back to where we were in caves, for example, like cavemen, right? We were fighting for our lives or we were running for our lives. And that was your stress response. Your stress is meant to keep you alive. That is the whole purpose of stress. What do you notice? Okay, so let's talk about what you would notice. You'll notice increased heart rate is one of them. Rapid breathing is another one. When you'll notice it, you'll start to feel anxious. You'll start to feel sometimes overwhelmed because there's too much going on and you have no idea where to go and you have a bunch of emotions and you're like, I I can't even process right now because there's so much going on. I don't even know where to start. So stress is not a bad thing. Okay. We have, stress has been given a bad name. It is actually really important because your body uses stress to continuously survey your body and make sure that, Hey, everything is good. And if it's not good, if we have too much stress over here, let's come heal. Let's bring in the right responses to heal your body. Stress is a normal function of your body. It's a normal function. It's a normal response in our as human beings in order for us to stay alive. It's what allows you to differentiate. It's time to run because there's danger here and I could be in trouble or I need to break because if I keep driving this fast, I'm going to hit this other car and get into an accident. So again, stress is not a bad thing. The issue when we think about stress is if we don't manage it, if we don't learn to recognize that, okay, Obviously, whatever I just heard during this meeting with my boss and I'm fearing for my job because I'm going to lose it or I'm not pleasing my boss, I'm not doing quite well. All right, this is causing a little bit of, I'm feeling a little panicky. I'm feeling like, okay, I, I don't know what to do. I'm nervous. That's okay. Learn to breathe. Learn to take some very deep breaths so that you can calm down your system and therefore tell your brain everything's okay. We, we're going to be okay. Or learn to understand how to talk positively to yourself so you can say, okay, you know what? Maybe I'm not performing the best in my career right now, but this isn't a full representation of who I am. So I'm going to take a minute, I'm going to sit in this, and I'm going to allow myself to feel what I'm feeling. And then I'm going to put together a plan of what I need to change slowly to start moving in the right direction of where I need to go. So you don't let that become an overwhelming response. Today's society, unfortunately, 
led to become an overwhelming response where things like this happen. This is an example, right? I'm just giving you an example. So let's say, let's take the, ex- the exact same response. Instead of taking some deep breaths, instead of allowing yourself to feel it, you either are going to be pretentious of nothing's wrong. Everything's going to be fine. I'm not going to do anything. I'm gonna, everything's going to be fine tomorrow. I'm just going to get up. I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to move on. Well, you never allowed yourself to actually experience or, or calm your system down. So your, your stress level stays high, right? Then you can't sleep well. You can't sleep well. You can't detox. Next day you come, you want to eat sugar because that makes you feel happy. So I want to eat chocolate. I want to eat the cookie because I'm stressed. I'm going to eat the cookie and I'm not going to have coffee because I'm fatigued because I'll have a sugar crush. And mm-hmm. guess what happens? You start some unhealthy habits that ultimately end up feeding back into your stress response rather than re- decreasing that stress response. And over a long period of time, that can lead to disease. It is actually one of the largest reasons why we are, become sick. It's because we're not, we don't know how to identify stress nor deal with it appropriately. So it's crazy that you say that because this weekend I had to pitch my company and that was my very first pitch. I, you know, deviated from my usual style of speaking and the outcome of the the competition wasn't what I hoped for or what I anticipated, right? But what happened was before when things, you know, didn't go the way I wanted, my first thing would be to be my hardest critic, right? And all these negative self-talk that wasn't really elevating my spirit was what I started doing. So then I had to step back and say, yes, I didn't get the outcome I wanted, but look at the benefits that I actually you know, got from being in this competition. And rather than going you know, keeping those feelings to myself, I actually did call my support system and say, listen, this was the result. This is how I'm feeling right now. And I was able to move Definitely. past it quickly. Before that was taking me weeks to do it because I would play that scenario over and over in my head for a while. But being able to recognize like, what was the benefit from it? How can I improve later on? reaching out to my support system. So it really all starts in your mind, right? It's, that's where it all starts. So you mentioned that being in a state of chronic stress can lead to other chronic diseases. So what are some other diseases that are, you know, really common within the Black and Latino communities? That's a great question. You know, let's talk if you, if you look at the CDC report, for example, for the leading causes of diseases today in the United States that lead to death and disability, it, it really focuses on chronic diseases, right? Um, a chronic disease is defined as a disease that is a broad condition that lasts for over a year of a patient's lifetime and requires either ongoing medical intervention or really limit the daily activity of living for that individual. So... When we think about chronic diseases in the United States, the top the top killers, let's say the top ones that cause death or disability are heart disease, cancer, and diabetes. So heart disease, we know as a precursor to heart disease is hypertension. And hypertension is one of those diseases that is very, very predominant in the African-American community, and it affects Black women even more, right? But we also know that stress can lead to hypertension. And so high is one of the largest, it's one of the risk factors for hypertension and diabetes. So when we think about those diseases, yeah, I mean, Latin American communities and African-American communities compared to Asian and their white counterparts are diagnosed with these diseases, like maybe 11, 12% compared to its white counterpart or Asian counterpart, which is only 7%. So you see it's almost doubled in the diagnosis of the disease and also the the predisposition to, you know, become part of this chronic group. So I have seen firsthand how stress actually, you know, affect your blood pressure. I had an experience a couple of years ago where I had an individual who blood pressure was through the roof. For the life of me, I couldn't figure out what was the cause of it? You know, a lot of money was spent trying to treat the blood pressure. The blood pressure couldn't calm down. And the minute we got to the source of the the 
the problem, which was actually stress. The minute we could address the stress, uh, the blood pressure actually came down. Yeah. And so it's, it's crazy how we don't think about it that some of these like high blood pressure is really, you know, impacted by stress level. You know, when we start having those stressful moments, like you said, we're worried about the economy. We're worried about kids. We're worried about, you know, the million things that we're worried about. One of the areas that it actually affects is our sleep. So we all know that sleep is really important. Sleep is vital for our body. Yes. But sometimes we don't understand how does it affect our overall health and well-being. So how does sleep impact our health and well-being? All right. That's a great question. So let's talk about why sleep is important. So I think that's something is a subject that's not talked about enough within, within our communities. So what happens during sleep typically? People just think that they go to sleep and then they wake up and feel rested. This is a this is a common phrase like, oh, I feel rested. No, I, I feel tired. I need rest. Okay, but what, what is really, what does that really mean? So a couple of things happen during your sleep. During your sleep period, your body detoxifies and your body restores. Those are the two functions that happen when you are sleeping. Your body does not heal internal tissues, does not clean blood, does not try to look at pathogenic insults when you're not asleep, like unless you're sleeping. Okay, so when you're sleeping, this is when your body heals. And so if you don't sleep enough, you don't allow that body to go through the cycle because there's a cycle to restore. So that's one. Two, your body detoxes. Every single day, the function of your liver, of your kidneys, okay, your spleen, what is their function of them to detox you, to get rid of and what does that mean it's a big big name nobody knows what the heck but what does it mean to detox it means to get rid of toxins in your body toxins can come from environmental factors so the water could have toxins the air that you breathe could have toxins what you eat could have toxins and it's okay your body is meant to detoxify you and keep you safe right there are toxins that come from taking pharmaceutical compounds because they're byproducts that can become toxins and your liver has to clean them and get them out. If you drink enough water, you're going to be able to do that and you're going to be able to get it out of out of your system. And then you have other pathogenic insults that are also toxins. But the whole point is that your body detoxes. And if you do not sleep during that beautiful window, average time window of sleep, then you're not detoxing appropriately. If you think about that now, so you can not detox appropriately one night, that's okay. You're not going to die from one night of not detoxing appropriately. The problem, right, as any as anything, the problem with anything is consistently doing so. So if I consistently eat well, I shouldn't gain weight, right? I, sh- I should actually be, let's say, my average weight for my height. If I consistently sleep, I will consistently feel rested. I'll be able to handle stress better. I'll be able to communicate. So if I consistently don't detox, let's apply it in the other way. If I consistently do not detox, what happens to the toxins that are supposed to get out of my body? They're going to accumulate. They're going to accumulate in my tissue. They're going to accumulate in my blood. They're going to accumulate in the lymphoid portion in your lymphatic system. And then what happens? Well, then you start to feel sick and you're like, well, I don't know why I'm sick. I drink all the water. I eat all the things that I need to eat. Oh, because well, you're not sleeping, buddy. So if you're not sleeping, guess what's going to happen? You're not detoxing. You you have toxicity. You have a toxicity syndrome. And then you got to get that toxins out in order for your body to start working well. Because we work like a well-oiled machine, just like the car. If you don't change the oil in the car and the, car, and the oil gets dirty and crusty, your car will start, your engine is going to go. Your engine's not going to get lubricated. It's not going to combust. You're not going to get that car going. The same thing with your body. You have to get it clean out of impurities because then it's not going to function optimally and optimal function is important because it's going to lead you to a health state right that environment of being sound and body mind spirit without pain and without disease so that's why sleep is so important so what is the average time of sleep because this is the other piece that people are like oh i sleep i sleep five hours every day well yeah that's that's called a short sleep period the good window for most you know like let's say 30s in your 20s 20s to 65 recommended window of sleep it's between seven to eight hours every night that is a recommended window of sleep and unfortunately in the united states as of 2021 the cdc has now made an announcement that we are having a sleep epidemic 
Why? Because individuals on average, I believe 45% of Americans are sleeping less than six hours. Less than six hours. So if you sleep less than six hours continuously throughout your lifetime, again, you're not going to restore. You're not going to heal, allow your body to heal because of what it does in the evening, it heals. And also you're not going to allow your body to get through all the detoxification system because it's cyclical. Each organ detoxifies at a particular period in time. The last organ to detoxify is your small and large intestine. So that's why when you wake up in the morning, what is the first thing we have to do when we wake up in the morning? We have to go to the restroom. You have to release. So there may be people listening to us and say, well, I do have an actual medical condition, you know, that actually prevents me from really getting good enough sleep at night. So what are some things that they can do, you know, people who have sleep apnea or insomnia, what are some things that they can do to actually improve their sleep hygiene? All right. So people are not going to like me when I say this, but it really is the truth. So just like with everything, you need to, you need to learn to build a habit to sleep. But how do you build a habit to sleep? It's almost like a practice, you know, you have to make sure that your bed is like, get the right lighting in your room. Get some dim lighting so that your body starts to get that cue of, okay, I'm winding down. Maybe put some essential oils in your room that really help to calm down the nervous system, right? Get the, from diffuse some lavender, diffuse citrus, lemon. Those are very good oils to get you to relax and calm down. And also just a nice olfactory, you know, indication where you're, you're smelling, it's nice. It, it kind of like it's enlightening. It's, you know, that that's one of the things. The other thing, I would recommend that you stop watching or looking or scrolling through your device an hour before you go to bed. That's hard. That's hard for um, workaholic us. It's hard, but we have to do it. We have to do it because the light, not only the light, but also just the electric currents from these devices are going to keep you charged. And we don't think that we, we are conductors. If you, if I grab this phone on my hand, I, I'm grabbing the current from this phone. It's going through me. It's flowing through me. So it's conducting the electricity. So it's not going to allow you to wind down if you're scrolling, scrolling, scrolling through your phone. So at least an hour before you go to bed, you want to try to put the phone away. That's a must. You want to begin a practice of what do I do every single day? that indicates to my body that it's time to sleep. So we do it with our children. We're so good at doing it with our children, right? Like we bath time and then we got to read a book. And then we're going to, if you're part of a Christian home, you pray or you teach your child to have some, you know, like five minutes of restorative quiet with some calm music. We dim down the lights. Uh, we put essential oils in their room so that it smells good, so that it relaxes them. And yet we don't do the exact same things for ourselves. And that is exactly what we need to do. We need to create a downtime routine so that we indicate to our body that it is time to go to sleep. And that's one of the things that from a habit place that you can start slowly, right? Okay, I want to start by not looking on my phone 30 minutes before I go to bed. It's going to get put on um, sleep mode. I'm going to just maybe read a book or I'm going to drink some hot tea or I'm going to massage my feet with some lotion and just breathe and kind of relax in my bed and then I'm going to try to wind down. So you want to start slowly because it's hard to cut off a habit right away. You have to start slowly. Now there are other things that you can do from a functional perspective and that is magnesium intake. Why do I say magnesium intake? So magnesium is a supplement that is highly undervalued. I would say in a lot in, 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 in most of the world. But it's something that we have, the majority of the population has deficiency in magnesium. And magnesium helps to calm down our nervous system. So it really helps us to be able to go into that winding down routine. It is essential for the synthesis of a lot of the proteins in our bodies. And so it will help you to have better detoxification. It will help you to really have a lot of, a lot of better, better restorative properties. And in addition to that, it also helps to calm down, like it also helps to dilate your blood vessels. So it means that you have better blood flow. So when you have better blood flow, you have a better chance of winding down and going to sleep because your heart rate and your blood pressure are not skyrocketing. So intaking magnesium in the evenings when you go to sleep really helps you. And a plus to it is that when you get up, it actually helps you to detox. It helps you to release and evacuate appropriately. And that is also very important. So that's something that I would recommend for people who have issues 
with sleeping is starting slowly with some habit formation. Maybe incorporate one thing today. Tomorrow you're going to do, you know, for, for a week, incorporate letting go of your device for 30 minutes. The next week, you know, maybe you start putting some essential oils in your room or you start dimming down the lights. No TVs. No TVs in the room. That is not allowed. TVs in the room would not allow you to wind down and go to sleep. So think, really think about what works for you. That's the whole point of being wholeness and, and holistic wellness. Is what works for the individual? Because what, what advice I gave you won't work for everyone. What you find relaxing is not what I find relaxing. Maybe you like food massages and that's something that you find relaxing. I don't find that relaxing. So I will probably read a book. Again, so it just depends on what the individual likes. If they like tea or they like a hot cup of, uh, I don't know, maybe milk. Because people like to drink milk and that helps to calm them down. That works. But, you know, you have to kind of figure out what works for you. What, what do you find relaxing? Actually, that's the first question people should ask themselves. What do I find relaxing? And then trying to incorporate some of those pieces in your wind down routine before you go to bed. So as important as sleep is, another important area is nutrition. I was doing a project and I sent out a survey. And when okay. I would talk to people, tell me about your overall health. Most people would say, oh, my health is good. And I would say, now tell me about your nutrition. And after the responses of how the nutrition is, I usually go back and say, now tell me about your overall health. And usually the rating that I get uh, before usually is downgraded, right? Because then people, it's like a light bulb goes up and say, maybe your lifestyle isn't as healthy as you think. So so how does nutritional habits actually contribute to chronic diseases and just our overall health and well-being? Yeah, that's a very good question. And so we are made of multi-singular organisms and that they ultimately help to build the terrain. It's kind of like when you think of a city, if you don't have good firmament, then no matter what you put on top, the buildings are going to be shaky. They're going to fall. It's not going to be a good city. That's the way we should think about our bodies. We have a terrain that we have to maintain. And that terrain are singular cellular organisms that ultimately are beneficial for us. They are very good. They help us in many ways. They help us to digest. They help us to intake. They help us to prevent pathogenic insult. And so if we don't give them what they need to help maintain our terrain strong, we're going to have a propensity for disease and we're going to get sick. So that's one. So, you know... What do we know about nutrition and how it impacts, let's say, diabetes? Because that's something that is a disease that's chronic. We know that refined carbohydrates, high sugar intake, carbonated sugar drinks, and lack of eating raw food. So when I say raw food is food that you have grown in the ground, you pick it out, or that you're, you know, animals that you're consuming. If you're not eating that and it's processed, and that's what process means, it has to be, it has to go through a chemical process in order to be created for you to eat. If you eat too much processed food, which is typically simple carbohydrates, things that turn into sugar very fast in your body, and you eat more than 28 grams of sugar a day, you're going to develop diabetes. Doesn't matter if you're sick right now. If you continue to do that habit over a long period of time, you're going to develop diabetes. It's just going to happen because your body doesn't know how to deal with that much, with that much processed food, with that much sugar. We're not meant to eat sugar. Our our liver produces sugar on its own. It's called, it's called neoglucogenesis. And we are meant to eat vegetables. We're meant to eat fruit. We're meant to eat meat, legumes, and you know your nuts, your seeds. So eating a very basic diet is actually very important for your terrain. Also because our little friends, our microbes in our bellies, love to intake and digest those kinds of things. So if we're able to eat real food on our plate with the right quantities, that's the other thing, that our friends are going to be happy. We're, our bodies are going to be, we'll be able to work us up to the optimum because we're giving it the right oil so that it can actually function, right? And and then we're not gonna we're we're not gonna have the propensity to develop that disease even if we're genetically having you know have a propensity to develop the disease. So nutrition is very important. It's it's your fuel. And if you're not fueling yourself appropriately and you do this every single day that you're eating poorly, you will eventually develop a chronic disease. Which ones? You can you know, become diabetic if you're consuming too much simple carbohydrates and too much sugar. 
if you're eating too high sodium diets and you're magnesium deficient, you're going to gain hypertension. If you're unable to sleep as well, right? And, and if you don't eat enough green leafy vegetables, which is where the magnesium is found naturally in your food sources, then you're not going to have a calm nervous system. You're not going to be able to sleep or maintain in deep sleep like you need to, and then you will not be able to detoxify nor restore your body. So at the end of the day, the food that we put into our body, yes, it is nutritious. Yes, it's supposed to taste good. It should, but it needs to have the rainbow. Like you really do. You really should eat greens. You should eat purples. You should eat yellows. You should eat orange because, and those are colors, not the actual orange, but you should eat within those color spectrums because they are, they each contain very different profiles of vitamins, of phytonutrients, and of minerals that your body needs to run everyday processes in order to stay healthy. So I'm originally from Liberia and back home when we, you know, at our meals, it came from the farm to the market to our table. There was no processing. Most of the foods anyway were in process. But a lot of times I hear in my community, people who are, you know, in the Western country, I eat the same thing that I used to eat when I was back home, but now this time I gain more weight. I'm diabetic. I have all these other um, chronic diseases. And from the sound of it is because now we're not eating the fresh meal we used to eat before, that organic meal from the farm to the table. But now there is this in between, this processing of food that is actually contributing to it. Yeah, so let's talk about a couple of things. So if you're not eating locally grown, and this is why it is advisable, if you're in an area that's near farms that you can find locally grown food, preferably to eat that compared to any other food that you have. So oranges grown in Florida, driven hundreds of miles to the northern eastern side of the United States, have to be, first of all, taken out of the tree when they're not ripe put to a process to maintain them throughout the entire travel. And then through the packaging system, I also put them through a process where they ripen fast so that they are orange for you to consume, right? Whereas if I go to my local farmer and they have a citrus tree for some reason, if they didn't get provided, then I'm able to eat fresh. They don't, I can pick right off the tree. They can pick right off the tree and I can, it doesn't have to go through some processes in order to maintain, Mm -hmm. first of all, it's taken out before it's ripened and therefore it doesn't have the same level of nutrients. So if you have to, if you have, if food has to travel, it always has to be in an unripe process so that it doesn't get lost because otherwise if it's taken ripe and then by the time it gets here, it's going to be rotten. That's the reality. So it has to go through some, you know, it's it's not taken ripe. It's not taken ripe and from the vine or from the, the actual tree where it's growing. And so that's going to cause a deficiency in nutrients within that particular produce that you're consuming already because it's not ripe. When it's ripe, it has the maximum amount of vitamin C or potassium or phosphorus. But if it doesn't, then you have deficient food, right? So that's one. Step number two, there's genetically modified foods genetically modified foods. And we know that they were genetically modified to make them more resistant to pesticides, to pestilence, right? Right. So Mm -hmm. that they could grow, they could grow faster, they could perhaps ripen faster as well to improve food consumption. The problem is that the exact same modification sometimes is very hard for our bodies to digest. And so instead of it being nutritious, it's not causing inflammation internally within our bodies. So if you have internal inflammation and you mm. keep consuming those non-organic, you know, or locally grown foods, produce, but rather conventional foods, because that's what's accessible to you, unfortunately, while you're eating fruits and vegetables, it will be a little bit inflammatory to you. So you want to balance it, you know, if you can't, because that's what's there. Okay, well, then during that time, you eat what's, you know, what's available at the food at the supermarket. And if you care, go to local produce during the summer, during the fall. You have local markets everywhere. Take the drive and get some produce from there. And during that time, incorporate some locally grown produce into your diet. If you're ever going to eat berries or strawberries or blackberries, blueberries, thing that you really cannot peel, I would recommend that you get the, just get that organic, right? You can get the rest because you're going to peel it. 
you can cucumbers, you're going to peel them and you're going to, you know, you're going to eat the peel. Okay, get them conventionally grown, whatever, that's fine. But things that you can't peel, it's going to have herbicides, it's going to have pesticides already in them. It's And it's hard for them to release that. So you're consuming pesticides, you're consuming herbicides. That's going to make you sick over the long period of time. So if you're going to eat organic, choose, and there's, it's called the dirty dozen. You can Google it, you're going to find it. The dirty dozen, don't buy those produce conventionally made. Get them organically, organic grown or locally grown because you're going to decrease the ability to have herbicides, pesticides, or some kind of uh, maturing process that it has to go through in order for it to be consumed. Wow, now it makes sense because sometimes we, when we go back home, there's the joke that you guys leave from here looking one way, come back looking, you know, bigger than how you left. I know there are other contributing factors, but it sounds like how the food, you know, the processing of the food and the pesticides on the food, you know, actually contributing to some of these uh, chronic diseases that we we end up with. Yeah, yeah. It's a first, and, and let's be honest, I also think that we come back and we eat the same food, but we also start to incorporate because of... um because of ease, right? Oh, there is McDonald's, there's Burger King, and we're going to Dunkin' Donuts and get a coffee with uh, the creamer. And oh, I'm going to get, I'm gonna, I'll try the donut. Oh, the donut tastes good. Yeah, let's eat some donut. There's things that you typically don't consume in your native country that when you come to the United States, now you have accessibility to those high refined, easily accessible processed foods that are very addicting. We know that sugar is more addicting than cocaine. This is proven. This isn't me talking at you. Go research it. Go and put bed. You're going to find studies that demonstrate that sugar is more addicting than cocaine. And yet we love to have these refined sugars, refined processed food because it tastes good. Well, once you try it, and if you don't have a good self-regulating mechanism where I say, you know, if you eat it once, it's not, like I said, if you eat it once, it's not going to hurt you. The problem is that it becomes a consistent habit. I eat it once every single week. Well, that, we have a problem. You can't eat it once every single week because that becomes a habit. Think about it. You're consuming that on a monthly basis. Now you increase your proportion of sugar and, and simple carbohydrate intake significantly compared to eating it once a month, for example, right? So those things also tend to impact when we have migrants come into the United States. They're now exposed to different food types that they didn't eat before, different sauces that you didn't eat before because our cultures are not sauce-based. You come here, it's a sauce country. They love their mayo and their ketchup and the barbecue sauce and the, I don't know, sauce. There's sauce for everything. There's a sauce on everything. And those sauces, unfortunately, are made up of oils that are just not healthy for you. They're not good for you. Canola oil, the corn oils, the you know, a lot of seed oils are just not, they're not good for you because they have to go again through a very refined chemical process to produce it. And what happens, you end up with, even though they try to clean them, you end up with byproducts of that process. So it's, it can be, to it's toxic to you. So yes, they have high combustion points, which is great for frying, but it's just not good for you to intake. You intake those oils and you're going to end up producing triglycerides. You don't want that. So you, you want to limit yourself to eating the healthy fats and not these, these oils, not these refined foods, because again, they will damage you. And all these sauces have the sugar because you can't have a sauce. If you, all, all sauces have sugar, whether they have high fructose corn syrup, whether they have plain sugar, they can call it sacralose, they can call it fructose, whatever, you monk fruit, whatever you want to call it, they will have it to sweeten it. And again, you should not consume more than 28 grams of sugar in a day. So I want you to actually do some homework. Whoever's listening, go look at your ketchup bottle and look at how much how much sugar one serving of your ketchup has. Or if you drink Coca-Cola, go look at your Coca-Cola, plain Coca-Cola, and look at how much serving of sugar a Coca-Cola drink has. An eight ounce Coca-Cola drink has 12, 12 teaspoons of sugar. That's definitely more than 28 grams. So, wow, I'm listening to you because when I get my Chick-fil-A, I always ask for the Chick-fil-A sauce and the Polynesian sauce. So sitting here listening to you talking about the sugar and the oil and the Chick-fil-A in the, the sauces, it's like I have to rethink my Chick-fil-A strategy. <laughs> yeah, so sauces are dangerous and that's where a lot of people lose it, right? That's why people are like, oh, but I'm eating my salad, but you're adding all these dressings. 
and your dressings get you. It's a lot of sugar. It's a lot of bad oils. You're not making them yourselves. It's going to get you. and It's going to get you big time. So be careful for hitting caloric intake in things that you don't think actually matter because they impact quite a lot. They raise your blood sugar quite a lot and will impact you in the long run. So I try to eat, you know, differently sometimes. But being African, my the food that I eat on a regular basis is in the quinoas or the, the, the salads or, you know, Meals like that, Western European-based meal, is my bowl of rice with the sauce or the soup or my fufu, right? Those are the things that I eat on a regular basis. So sometimes when I try to encourage people to eat healthier, like people within my community is like, <laughs> you expect me to eat the salad. I had a friend once who had a condition and they needed to make some lifestyle adjustment. And I had offered because we were really close at the time. And I had offered like, I will make you some, you know, different kind of vegetable salads so you can incorporate some of those in your meal. And the first thing the person said to me, am I a goat? Do I look like a goat? And as funny as that was, it was also something that's like really common within the, the, the community, right? That's not the, our palace. Some of us, our palates are not used to these vegetables, um, especially when it comes to like, you know, vegetable salads and stuff. So it can be hard for people That's to it. make that mm-hmm. that transition to eating, um, to eating vegetables, salads and stuff. So how can people who don't eat these kind of food actually incorporate it within that diet without, you know, forgoing the cultural heritage so that we can actually have that balanced diet. So even though, you know, although you don't want to let go of your cultural preferences uh, or your cultural heritage, but equally so you want to make sure you are consuming a balanced diet. So how can individuals find ways to incorporate those nutritional uh, components into a diet without forgoing the cultural heritage? Yeah, that's a good, that's a really good question. Number one, vegetables don't have to be consumed raw in order for them to have value into your diet. So I know that there is a lot of stews and there is a lot of cooked meal, you know, with okra, for Mm -hmm. example. There's a lot and you put, yes, your meat, it is the center of African culture. I know you (laughs) like your goat, you you like your beef, you like, you know, your chicken, you like it, you like it, eat it. But then within that, you know, Add parsley, add add mm-hmm. your collard greens, cook the collard greens and eat them with your goat, right? As long as you are cooking your vegetables and adding vegetables into your food, you can add eggplant and have goat and eggplant in your curry sauce and or your sauces and still it still tastes good, right? And that's that's a purple vegetable. You can add peppers, you know, those are color vegetables. And then, but again, those are the ones that we like to think as starchy. The ones that are non-starchy are always the leafy green ones that people have issues consuming. Like, how am I going to consume this if I really don't like to eat it? Well, one of the things I say is like, if you eat a lot of soups, put them in your soups. Put a lot of it in your soups, let it cook, and then eat it. You're consuming the, the same amount because whatever comes out of the vegetable is going to be in the actual soup liquid. So you're going to consume it and you're going to consume the same nutrition as eating a bowl of salad. It's just going to come through you. So that's one of the ways to do it is to incorporate it cooked in your typical cuisine. The other thing that you can do, it's a little harder to do with our cultures, but you can educate and slowly begin to do this. Again, everything's a slow process. Cold pressed juices. And when I say juices, I do not mean fruit. I mean vegetable juices. So you can put collard greens, you can put kale, you can put parsley, you can put spinach, you can put celery, okay? And then you put lemon, or an orange because that provides the citrusy taste or half of a green apple and you cold press that and then you have about an eight ounce of pure concentrated greens that you can drink without having to eat or chew on it. It will, it doesn't taste bad because adding the apple and adding the lemon really brings down the bitterness from the, from the leafy green vegetables out. And the half of apple really just provides some of the sweetness, natural sweetness, without it being overwhelming. And start consuming that once once a week. Just once a week, I do an eight-ounce glass. Once a week, 
you know, like I said, it's for me, it's very important to educate people at baby stepping your way to health because it's really that. If you come from a culture who never consumes these things, you cannot force someone to consume these things. But you have to learn to educate your palate to like mm-hmm. some of these things in a very slow manner. So that's another way. And then fruits, honestly, fruits get a bad rep. Oh, fruits, they have high glycemic indexes. They're so bad for you. Let me tell you, you eat a fruit, okay? Yes, it has fructose. That is the sugar in your fruit, fructose. But guess what? Fructose comes with a lot of fiber, a lot of fiber in most of your fruit. And that fiber and the way the fructose is released is not going to harm you the same way as drinking the apple juice or eating the applesauce, which is really big in this country. Or let's say, oh, I'm going to eat me some peaches, but they're in syrup. No, that that's not eating. You're eating sugar. That's not that's not fruit. Go eat your fresh peach, peel it and eat it. Get your apple, peel, you know, eat it or bite into it. I, I, you know, I eat my mango. I bite into my mangoes. I eat the peel because that's that's a cultural thing, but it's good, you know. But you know, everyone has their own cultural things of how they consume food. So peel it and eat it. Eat your fruit. You really want to eat at least two to three servings of fruit a day. So what does that mean? I mean, an apple is a serving of fruit a whole cup of blueberries, raspberries, or strawberries is a serving. And then if you eat a peach, you have a serving. So it really, it's not complicated. It's not like you're eating huge amounts of fruit, but you have to eat fruit. It's really good for you. And it's it's a good way to have some simple carbs that have right. fiber. And you get that sweet, sayety with it, especially if you like papaya, if you like bananas, if you like pineapple, if you like mangoes then eat those things you know because they're they're good for your body they're not going to kill you i prefer you eat that than you go eat a donut i prefer you eat that than eat a thing of ice cream like go to your fruit your fruit are this is god's way of giving you dessert is fruit so follow your fruit (laughs) wherever you go eat some fruit so I know we talk about sleep hygiene and nutrition. We really do go deep into sleep and nutrition. But what are some other things that people can do to reduce the chances of getting chronic diseases? Okay, so this is this is I'm going to walk you through it. It's going to seem very simple, and it's like that cannot be all, but it really is this simple. And this is something that we're just not taught enough. Okay, so number one, get sun. You need to have at least 20 minutes of sun on a daily basis. How do you get sun? Go outside. The sun is actually between between 9 and noon and after 3 o'clock, 3 to 6. That sun is not bad for you. That is a good sun. Go get some sun. Get some outdoor. Not enough of us go outdoors and breathe fresh air and walk. So we are so caught up with, I need to lift weights. I need to run. I need to, no, just go outside and walk. Go outside disconnect, breathe some fresh air and move daily, daily. And this is every day. No matter, it's raining. I don't care. Put on a jacket, go walk. You don't want to go outside. Okay, well then you know what? Take out your stepper and step in your house for 10, 15 minutes, move. So movement is really important. Stagnation and people staying still is one of the reasons why people get sick. Why? Because we need movement to move our lymphatic system. What is our lymphatic system? That is your, your protection is your immune system, and it moves with movement. So if you're sitting down, your immune system isn't moving. If your immune system isn't moving and you get a pathogen, how well are you going to generate a response to that pathogen quickly? I'll leave it up to you. It's most likely unlikely for you to develop that response as fast as you should. So you have to move every single day. It's good to get the body moving, get your lymphatic system going, go outside and get sun in the fresh air. We underestimate the power of fresh air in our bodies. Oxygenation is crucial for optimum development in people, but also for optimum production in our cellular mechanisms. We need oxygen for everything. So if you don't go outside and get fresh air and you're inside and in in a building for, you know, you work nine to five, you work seven to, a, you know, a 12 hour shift, then you go home, it, you get into a car, you drive home, you're in your house. When do you breathe fresh air? The entire time you were in a ventilated environment that, as you know, gets filled with dust particles, as you know, can get filled with mold. And this is the air you're breathing and you're supposed to be able to provide cellular process, you know, air oxygen for cellular processes. It's not going to happen. You're not breathing fresh air. So air is crucial. We underestimate the power of air 
We underestimate the power of just simple walking and moving outside. But those are really important in the, in the sun, right? Those are really important. Two things that you can do today. The other thing, like I said, downtime. So stress, big, big factor for why we get disease. How do you do downtime? If you're Christian, you do devotionals, do devotionals in the morning, 15 minutes. You do devotionals in the evening. Or if you meditate, you prefer meditation, meditate in the morning, meditate in the evening. If you like to write a gratitude journal, then sit down in the morning just by yourself before the craziness starts and give yourself time. Or in the evening, this could be part of your downtime routine. Sit down and write in your journal, give thanks, or read your Bible, or meditate. Whatever you need to do to have some downtime, 15 minutes a day makes a huge difference in people's lives. Right, walk 15, downtime 15. And then the other piece is we underestimate the value of really drinking enough fluids. I know people know they need to drink eight glasses of water a day. Nobody, most of our communities don't drink eight glasses of water a day. And it's okay if you thought, well, it doesn't taste like anything. I don't, you know what, I need like, I need something. Okay, well then infuse it, put mangoes, put mint, put lemon put a cinnamon stick in your water overnight and then tomorrow get up and drink drink the water that has been infused with the cinnamon stick it's going to taste a little spicy it's going to taste a little comforting and it has some kind of flavor without having to have sugar or drink your teas you like herbal teas you like mint tea you like chamomile tea you know make them in higher quantities and drink warm water throughout the day, even if it's just teas without added honey. I know honey is good, but we can't keep adding it every single day. It's also sugar, okay? So there's limitations. Use honey when you're sick. Don't use honey on an everyday basis because it's like just like consuming sugar. So again, those types of things are going to be very important for people when we're thinking about how do we prevent. So prevent by movement, prevent by gratitude, releasing stress and, and staying in a center environment, prevent by hydration because hydration is crucial, crucial for detoxification, is crucial for restoration, and it will help you not have hypertension too because if you're hydrated, your, um, you know, your veins are not going to constrict. Your veins constrict when you're dehydrated. Guess what happens to your pressure if they're constricted? It means it takes more pressure for blood to go through that vein. So you're gonna have a higher pressure in your body, hypertension. So let's like, these are things that can help you prevent. When you decrease the sugar intake by doing these types of things, you're not going to have to worry too much about, oh, well, you know, how I deal with my, with my diabetes. Because, well, if you're really moving, you're drinking, you're being grateful, and you're eating appropriately with more vegetables, more fruits, you're going to feel full, first of all. That's one. You're going to feel full. You're going to have a nice amount of protein, eat your protein. And then the last thing that comes in is your starch. So I know that you said, okay, I'm African and I eat a lot of rice or maybe fufu. Fufu is great. Okay, you get you get a lot of yuca root. It's a resistant starch. It's a starch that doesn't get absorbed by your arterial veins in your small intestine. Okay, because it's too large. It's going to go straight into your large intestine. And bacteria there are going to have to eat it, digest it, and ultimately produce a compound that decreases inflammation. So what can you do with rice? Prepare it the way you prepare it. I, this is one of the things I tell my cultures the entire time. I am Latina. I tell them, look, make your rice. You have to soak the rice for 30 minutes so you can get a lot of the carbohydrates out of that rice. You want to cook it like you normally cook it, okay, with healthy oils. What are healthy oils? Coconut oil, butter, avocado oil, olive oil, good oils, okay, preferable, those things. The rest, consider them bad oils. It's very simple. It's more oils. Anything else? It, it goes through a processing and a refinement process that will ultimately end up with toxins in your body. So don't consume those and they cause you to produce triglycerides. So again, don't consume those oils. And then once you cook your rice, let it cool completely. Let it cool completely before you eat it. And people are like, why, Diana, you're crazy. What do you mean let it cool completely? Yes, of course, you got to let it cool completely because in the process of cooling, guess what? The carbohydrate structures in that rice is changing and it's becoming a little, it's becoming bigger. Bigger to the point that when you do have to you have to reheat it you can reheat it up to 220 degrees celsius without breaking that reform heavier larger carbohydrate structure when you consume it after going through that cooking process right and cooling process 
guess what? Your sugar levels are not going to go up because it's not going to cause high, a high glycemic index like regular cooked rice because you now have high this, this larger carbohydrate structures. When you absorb them, when you eat them, they're not going to be absorbed by the, by the, by the veins in your small intestine. It's going to go into your large intestine and it will take bacteria to break it down in order for you to absorb it. So again, it's a longer process. It's gonna, it's, it almost acts like fiber. So you like your rice? I'm game with that, but then just change the way you're cooking it. It's a cooking process of how you process, how you prepare it. If you prepare it differently, it's going to be a game changer for your nutrition. Before we go, I if the audience can take away three things from everything we talk about, what would you want them to take away? All right. So three things I want them to walk away with. One, understand your body. You need to understand what's happening with your body. You are your best physician. You know what ails you. You know what makes you feel sick when you eat it. So understand your body and listen to your body because your body is telling you something when you're not feeling well. So let's let's listen to your body. That's number one. Number two, identify at least one to two goals that you want to achieve for yourself when it comes to health, okay? Really introspective thinking for yourself is very important. What are you really not good at? What are you really not doing well? that can really impact your health. You all know, everybody knows, you know, processed food is not good for you. Yeah, go and eat my Doritos. Oh, okay, well, yeah, processed food is not good for you. Yeah, I'm gonna go drink my Coca-Cola every time I go over here or I drink Sprite or I need to drink, do- you know, Dr. Pepper. Well, let's really think about that a little bit. It's that, the you know, can you really then complain that you have poor health when that's the way you eat? So be conscientious about yourself and your habits. And really identify one or two goals that you would like to achieve for your health and start with baby steps on how you can start to make those habits a little bit better for you. And then number three, you know, understand that there are, there is a support system for our communities, but that working with functional nutrition coaches, counselors, practitioners is very important for you as a Latino or an African-American. And that is because we look at you as a whole person not just the symptom. And we really look at your habits and how all of that can really be influencing your health. So if you find yourself with chronic conditions or chronic fatigue and you're like, I have no idea why I can't get this to work, really go towards a functional nutrition coach, counselor, functional medicine practitioner that can look at you as a holistic person and that can begin to advise you on how to change habits because people at the end of the day whether you want to believe it or not your habits make you sick it is your habits that ultimately impact your health so if somebody listens to you and want to work with you how can they find you and do you do only in person or do you do virtual as well yeah i no i do virtual i do i do virtual and in person individual as well as group coaching sessions and I am also running some workshops for, for larger families when that's necessary. So you can find me at www.seventhbalance.com and that's pretty much where you'll be able to you know find where to work with me. There's a link there that calls out work with work with me and it can take you to a consultation session with us where we can begin to address and really assess your whole self and make sure that you can really help you to achieve a better balance, more vital life. Thank you, Deanna. I hope you guys took away something from the episode. But next episode, we're bringing somebody who is a champion for obesity prevention and actually doing it uh, in a culture-sensitive way. She's a renowned public speaker. She's been focusing on obesity and making sure that our communities um, have the tools and resources they need. I'm excited for our guest um, on the next episode, Dr. Bowley. And you don't want to miss it. So you want to come and she's going to be bringing a rich perspective. It's one thing to have a provider talk about health and wellness and obesity, but having somebody who has that cultural aspect to it, that's one of the things that hinder the Black and Latino community because of lack of trust in our healthcare system. So bringing somebody on the show who, you know, can relate because they're from similar cultural background, but also have that medical knowledge and have helped a lot of people with obesity um, and other chronic disease. 
I'm really excited. So come back. You have to come back. You have to come back and hear what she has to say, the tools and the resources that she will bring to the show um, to empower you. All right. See you next episode. Thanks for tuning into the whole Ben show today. We hope that you found value in today's episode and that it inspired you to live a more balanced and healthy life. Remember, we're here to help you balance your mind, nourish your body, and elevate your spirit one episode at a time. If you enjoyed the episode, please go ahead and subscribe. Follow us on social media at journey underscore TWBS. Journey is spelled J-O-U-R-N-I-Y. We know wellness is a journey, but we also know that it needs to be inclusive. That's why we spell journey with an I. So go ahead, follow us, subscribe, and leave us a feedback because that's how we know to produce content that will be valuable to you.